please open your Bibles to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verse 1, please. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Amen. I ran across a, a story, or a, maybe it's a story of your life, maybe it's a parable of what happens to you Sunday by Sunday, I'm not sure. Maybe uh, the, the, the parents coming with little kids, they're going to resonate with this more. But uh, Sunday morning worship. Some of you have done it for 70 and 80 years now. In my life, I've done it for about 30 years, maybe, maybe missing one or two Sundays a year, but it's been a big part of my life. But let's not pretend it's not a challenge, right? Let's, 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 let's be realistic about the challenge. Listen to this. A story. It's 9.08 on Sunday morning, and Steve and Sandy are rushing madly to get their three kids out the door in time for the Sunday service. The drive is just over 15 minutes, if all the lights are green. <laughs> on this particular morning, all but one are red. Slightly irritated, Steve pulls into the parking space on the far side of the lot at 9.28, scrambles to get into the building. As they walk through the doors, they hear the congregation singing, but they have to check their little ones in the kids' church first. They finally make it to the service and settle into the back row. As the third song finishes, the pastor steps up to pray and receive the offering. He makes a few announcements, introduces a special song, then continues his, his series from the book of Philippians. Steve is trying to stay focused, but it's not working. His thoughts keep drifting to this afternoon when a couple of guys are coming over to watch the game. Sandy's wondering whether she has enough snacks to feed them. After the closing song, Steve and Sandy are on the move again. They pick up their kids and hurry home for a quick lunch so the two youngest can get their naps. Uh, this scenario, uh, the, the author here is Bob Coughlin. He says, this scenario or something like it is repeated hundreds of thousands of times every, each week. Maybe you can relate. I know I can. Sunday mornings become just one more activity to fit into your already packed and overwhelming schedule. Wouldn't it be easier just to stay home? After all, Christians can read the Bible and exalt God all by themselves, on their own, with no one near them. Isn't that what true worshipers do Monday through Saturday? But then Sunday comes around every week, and if we're honest, there are going to be probably weeks we wish Sunday didn't come. It means getting out of bed early to spend an hour or two with people we don't know very well, some of whom we'd rather not know at all. <laughs> There are always things to, crit to critique about our church. If you're a parent with young kids or a student who stayed up late Saturday night with friends or a businessman who's been out of town all week, the reasons to do church on your own can sound very compelling. But he says true wor worshipers gather 
I want to talk to you about that today. What are we doing here on Sunday morning? What's the purpose? What's the point? And why should it be part of your life? Uh, we, uh, we as Americans have never done Sunday morning worship very well throughout our whole history. Uh, the highest, you know, like for a lot of our nation's history, uh, poll after poll has shown up until recent years that up to 90% of, uh, of people in America have claimed to be a Christian. But uh, for most of our history, uh, worship services haven't been a big part of our history. At the high point, the high point in America, right after World War II, 1950s, going into the 1960s, the, the highest level of worship in our country, there was 50% of Americans who went regularly to worship services. And since the 1960s, that number has continued to go down, down, down. <laughs> uh, I, I'm doing a little research this week. Uh, about nine, uh, 2007, 2008, uh, our country, about 20% of Americans worshipped weekly. Uh, it's still, but at that time, it was still 88% of Americans said they were Christians. Uh, and our, since the pandemic has accelerated things, uh, right now, throughout any part of the country you go to, uh, regular worship, uh, northeast, northwest, south, Bible Belt, wherever you want to go, it's uh, probably between 10, 10 and 15% of all Americans are worshiping week by week in a house of worship, regardless of it's a Bible-believing church, whether it's a, a you know, Catholic church, whatever style you want to put it in, whether whatever house of worship. So when you talk about Bible-believing Christians, which I assume you are, the number really plummets to the number of people that are worshiping on a Sunday morning anytime, anyplace in America. We have about 50,000 people in our valley, give or take a few thousand perhaps, depending on the season. And uh, my estimates, as I've talked to pastors, if I, as I've looked at different congregations, I've done a lot of demographic studies, um, there's probably about um, 7,500 people in our valley worshiping this morning if it's a normal, normal, normal Sunday morning. That includes Roman Catholic, that includes LDS, that includes Jehovah Witness, that includes whatever, it could be a Buddhist monastery in, in Crestone. When it comes to Bible-believing Christians, uh, what we call born-agains or evangelicals, uh, probably at a high point, Sunday by Sunday, there's probably about 1,500 of us gathered in a, in, a, in a place of worship throughout the San Luis Valley. And some Sundays it's less than that. And so you are uh, one of the few, <laughs> one of the minority today. But we have to ask the question, even though that's been a, a real, it's, it's not been a part of our country's heritage, maybe denomination by denomination, the numbers go up more religiously than other places. But we have to ask the question, why Sunday worship anyway? Why do we do this? Why, why is this something that's important? So next week I'm going to get into some of the nuts and bolts about singing, about preaching, and why these things are done. Why do we gather and, and pray together? Why is there a corporate calling? What do we do when we're here? But today I just want to raise the issue, what are we doing here? Uh, it might shock you to know there is no command in the Bible it says, thou shalt worship at 9 or 10.45 on Sunday morning. You can't find it. 
The closest thing we have is a command to worship on Sundays is Hebrews 10.25, where in the book of Hebrews, there's some Christians that were Jewish people before they converted to Jesus Christ, and they went through a season where they started missing, apparently, the the traditions, the festivals, the, the way of life and their Judaism, and they were talking about going back, about leaving Christ, and this whole book of Hebrews is written to call them back to worship, to call them back to Jesus. So Hebrews 10.25 says to those, don't you forsake meeting together. Don't you stop meeting together. But it never in anywhere spells out in the Bible that uh, Sunday morning worship is an essential command. It's not, there's not an 11th command that says you have to worship on Sunday mornings. But it's obvious as we go through the New Testament that uh, it was a part of, of people's lives. It was a part of what was normal. And it was to the extent where it was never, it never, I don't think the authors ever felt or the Holy Spirit ever felt like it had to be spelled out. We know from uh, the letters, the writings of Christians in the first century, second century, third century, fourth century, from the church fathers, from the, the bishops, the leaders in the churches, that it was something that was normal. It had become normalized very, very quickly. And there's, there's reasons for that. But let, let's look at the beginning of the, of the church. Let's look at the beginning of, of what had happened. And we're going to describe what we're doing here and why we continue to practice this, uh, this act that we do on Sunday mornings. Please uh, turn to Acts with me. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Uh, this is after... The Spirit fell at the Pentecost. Pentecost was a, a Jewish festival of, of harvest. Uh, it was a time where they celebrated God's blessing of, of uh, the, the harvest of grain. Um, and, and there was a great celebration, but it was the day after the Sabbath and Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, kind of the beginning of the church. And one of the descriptions in 246 was, it, it is, it's, pretty, it's pretty packed, but it says, in day by day, every day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So if you can imagine the setting back then, people are coming from all over the Mediterranean basin, all over the world, the known world at the time, all the Jews, the faithful Jews, they're commanded to come to Pentecost. It was one of those commands from Exodus that you have to do every year to gather in the Lord's presence in Jerusalem. So they're coming from that language and that people group and that place. And, and all these different languages are gathering together. And when the Holy Spirit came, it was a miraculous time when the gospel went out and they heard their tongue, they heard the gospel in their own tongues and people could understand one another. It, and it was an amazing thing where the gospel went out and people, thousands and thousands of faithful Jews became followers of Jesus Christ. And they were so excited about what was happening It was such a moving time that many of these thousands of pilgrims from around around the world stayed in Jerusalem. And so day by day, they met in the temple courts. Day by day, they worshiped. They they went to the morning and evening prayers where the singers, the the Levitical singers, would go out on the porch and sing. And they would participate in the worship. And and day by day, they'd meet in the homes. They'd break bread together just as we did. And they'd worship and they'd celebrate and they'd rejoice. And it was a wonderful time where, where people kept coming to the faith because, what are you doing? Well, you're worshiping Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Tell me more about him. And, and it was just this fascinating, powerful season in church history, but it didn't last. 
uh, some of these people had to go back to jobs. They could stay for a few weeks or a few months, but they had to go back to their homeland. They had family back then. If you keep reading through the book of Acts, this season, this, this incredible season of Pentecost, as it went on for months and months and months, uh, eventually the, 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 the Judaism, the, 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 the idea that Jesus was the Messiah, the majority of the Jewish people in, in Judea and Jerusalem, they said, no, we don't believe that. And a great persecution broke out against the church. And so the church was scattered. It was spread around. They were sent back to their places of origin. They were spread back hither and yon, you know, and, and wherever they went, they preached the gospel. And so new churches started there and, and there and there. Uh, and it, it came together in, in some beautiful ways, but they had to decide, like, what does it mean now that we're not welcome in the synagogue anymore, the Saturday observance? Uh, do we keep the Sabbath or not? And that's another fascinating thing about the New Testament. The Sabbath is never commanded in the New Testament. The fourth commandment, all the other commandments from the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. The fourth commandment isn't. And so we look back in church history, and it seems even from the first century, uh, the Christians stopped worshiping on Saturday, stopped worshiping on the Sabbath. Sabbath worship wasn't a part of the thing, but Sunday worship became the day. And we see hints of it here and there. Uh, staying in the book of Acts, look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Um, and this is, uh, this is uh, preachers love this text because the preacher preached a long time and nobody complained. Someone almost died, but nobody complained. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, and so we see that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 2, the first day of the week is a Sunday. You look at your calendars, the way they're set up now, the first day of the week is a Sunday. In, in, in church history, sometimes they call it the eighth day, uh, the day of worship. But on the first day of the week, when we are gathered together to break bread, notice the purpose of their gathering. First day to break bread. In other words, to remember the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember His sacrifice, to remember what He did. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. Uh, so really interesting, first day of the week, by our reckoning, why is he talking in the middle of the night? Did he start preaching at 10 a.m. and then preached all the way to midnight? Uh, <laughs> it's possible because I'm sure he was a talker, but probably not. You know, the Jewish, the Jewish people, the way they, they set up uh, their, their days, right, it was sundown to sundown. So the Sabbath, Friday sundown, what we say would be Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, that's the Sabbath. And so the new day... Sunday, that's never used in the Bible because it's associated with the worship of the sun in, in some Roman circles. Uh, Sunday, the first day of the week, started Saturday evening after the sun went down. And so it, it eventually changed to Sunday morning, but we see here Paul's waiting around for the church to gather because they don't meet on Saturday, they're meeting on Sunday, which is actually what we call Saturday evening. And so maybe they started preaching at 6 o'clock, and he's preaching to midnight. Maybe he started preaching at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., preaching to midnight. But, but uh, um, it, it was a wild time because it, you, you keep reading. A young man, verse 9, Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. <laughs> and being overcome by sleep, he fell from the third story, was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life the life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and, had broke, and broken bread and eaten, so it's after midnight when they serve the Lord's Supper. <laughs> they, 
They had this meal. They had this celebration together. They were living life together, and it was, it was like this, wow, because we got this guy here, we're going to keep going all night, apparently. And they, they, they ate the Lord's Supper. Um, when Paul got up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with him a long while until daybreak and departed. So we could stay here till daybreak if we wanted to. They took the youth away alive. We're not a little comforted. Maybe, maybe some of you might not make it if we stayed that long. But you see where, how it starts. Like the transition from we, the, the gospel goes out to different places, and they, they start having this tradition of meeting the first day of the week. And here it's probably Saturday evening because it's the first day of the week, according to the Jewish reckoning. But they eventually went to the, the first day of the week is Sunday morning. Uh, we, we, we get to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And Apostle John, he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And he doesn't even have to describe what that is. It, the Revelation probably written at the end, end of the first century, 95 AD or something like that. It's become so widespread that he doesn't have to tell anybody what the Lord's Day is. It's the day where the church worships. It's the day where the, the Christians gather. They're no longer gathering on Sabbath. They're no longer gathering during that time. They're coming together on Sunday morning. Um, so we have this, uh, and, and again, there's, there's just not a lot spoken of about the church services. We can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 how they came together for the Lord's Supper, and the Apostle Paul addresses them about some of the things they're doing wrong there. 1 Corinthians 14, there's a little bit there about how the worship services flow or how Paul suggests they maybe should flow, but we're not told hardly anything about the, the early gatherings. The, the, the purpose of them, or, or why, they, why they were there. And so we have to extrapolate a little bit from church history, and we, we, we look back and we, we read the, the, the 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century writings, and, and again, the tradition is strong that it started back then. But why? Why did they gather? And the, and the most obvious reason that uh, Christians started to gather on the Lord's Day, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. This pattern of, of okay, we're, we're new Christians, and, and the Jewish Christians for a season, they kept worshiping Sabbath. They, they're Sabbatarians in many ways. And we see some of the battles, some of the things happening in, in the book of Acts, where the Jewish Christians are struggling, like, we belong to this, and now we're followers of Jesus, and shouldn't they go together? And, and, and you, you read the church council in Acts, Acts 15, just the limited nature of what tells the Christians what to do. Uh, and it, it, there's a lot of freedom now. There's a lot of freedom to, to worship. And you read Colossians. You go through the book of Colossians. And, man, there's, there's no longer these. You don't have to go to Sabbaths anymore. You don't have to do holy days anymore. You don't have to do these convocations anymore. You don't have to worry about the food laws anymore. You don't have to do these ceremonies anymore. Because in Jesus Christ, something's changed. And we call that the new covenant. And so the, this, this wrestling with what it means to follow Jesus now that he's the Messiah has come, the Old Testament foreshadowing, looking towards that day when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes to reign. And, and so we, we, we come to this, uh, this, this, this the, the scriptures are written to a group of people, many of them Gentiles, that never heard about a Sabbath. And there's no commandments to observe the Sabbath. And there's no commandments to, to do this, to eat these kind of foods and, and don't eat those kind of foods. It, uh, it's, very, it's very wild to think about the transition. If you were a Jewish Christian, how that changed so radically. But it's new covenant, a new age. And so Christians started to gather on Sunday, not as a Sabbath worship, but as a celebration. They gathered because Jesus, the Christ, had died for their sins he was buried, and the third day he rose from the dead. 
And in Him, we're forgiven. In Him, we're free. In Him, we have a future and a hope. And, and so the, 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 the start of this tradition we call Sunday gathering, Sunday meeting, it started way back then as the Christians, as they were scattered here and there, they came together. They came together because of Jesus Christ. Because He is the Lord of lords and the kings of kings. And, and they wanted to exalt Him. And they did. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the reasoning, there's several reasons. Of course, Jesus rose on Sunday morning. Uh, the disciples saw Him on Sunday morning. You know, the start there. Pentecost happened on a, on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week. There's just so many reasons lined up to celebrate God on Sunday mornings. And so they started to gather and they started to meet. And we, uh, we come as at the end, uh, who knows how many more decades this world's going to go on before Jesus Christ comes back. Who knows how many more years are gonna, until Jesus Christ comes back. It could be soon. But if it goes on for decades, I don't know where we are in the trajectory of things and in the, in the big God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end of the story, when it's going to happen. But here we are at the end from our vantage point of 2,000 years of Christians meeting on Sunday mornings, Christians gathering on Sunday mornings, Christians coming together on Sunday mornings. And again, our country's never done very well at it. Maybe the entrepreneurial spirit Maybe the, the Protestant work ethic of having to get out and conquer things. And, and boy, I don't, think, I don't think Sunday mornings are very productive. I think maybe I should just keep working or, or whatever. We don't know the reasons why, all the reasons why Christians have struggled so hard to make this a, a tradition. But it is a tradition. And if it's going to be something that continues, we have to know why we're doing what we're doing. Why are you here? What is the purpose of this gathering? Um, you know, from my vantage point on Sunday morning, I get to look at, look at the people, two services, and sometimes this service is much different than second service. Sometimes there's a different feel in this service than second service, a different tone, a different vibe, like different, different things are going on in different people's lives. But I get to see and I get to look out and I get to see people who are engaged. I get to see people who are obviously here for a purpose. They're, they're singing. They're, they're praying. They're, they're interacting with their, their, their neighbors. They are uh, making offerings, and it's obviously an act that is beyond just going through the motions. But then I get to see others that are, are here, and, and it's obvious they don't know why they're here. They, you know, sometimes they're here for other people, they were drugged here by a family member. They were guilted into coming. But I, I look around, and, and at certain points every Sunday, I, I can look over at so-and-so, and I see him look at the clock. I know his heart's not in it. I can look at such-and-such such a, a gal over here, and I, I know as she's looking down and looking at her phone that she's not looking at scriptures. <laughs> I know that there's people that come every Sunday that they don't know why they're here, and they can't wait till it ends. Why, in the, why am I in this purgatory? Why do I have to listen to the guy on the sermon? He just keeps going on and on and on. Won't he just shut up? So maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you resonated with that story about, uh, man, I've got, I, I work all week so hard. 
I, I push all week and, and the boss keeps asking for more and more or my business keeps demanding more and more. And, and man, I've got a few days. I've got Saturday and Sunday to get my stuff done, to get all the housework done, to get, get all the, the, you know, the garden taken care of and take care of the animals and do all these things. And, and maybe you resonate with that like, Man, this is my time, and I don't even know why I go to Sunday morning. I don't even know what I'm accomplishing there. I don't even know what's going on. So it becomes very easy to stay home or to do my thing. And, and if you don't know why you're here, that, that makes total sense. So why are you here? What are we doing? Uh, there are many benefits to a gathering such as this where the Word of God is preached where God is present, where uh, the people of God have gathered, and I'm going to enumerate some of those next week. But for today, have you ever noticed that, uh, if you've if you looked through the bulletin, have you ever noticed that we don't call this a, an entertainment service? Because we can't out-compete the world, can't out-entertain the world, even though the worship team is great and I'm so thrilled by what they do. Um, have you know, ever noticed we don't call this uh, educational hour? Because uh, we don't gather here just for education's sake. I mean, sometimes you do learn things in the lyrics of the songs, or sometimes the pastor does say things like, oh, never thought of that before. Maybe I learned something today. But we don't call it an education hour. What, what is this hour? Uh, we, don't, we don't call this the recharge your battery hour. Like you plug in your car, you plug in your soul at Sunday morning and you leave recharged. Now, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you've been beat up all week and sometimes you're working among people all week that curse and they take the Lord's name in vain all week and they just are laying this worldview on you that's so harsh and so difficult and you're just broken at the end of the week because they're sucking the life out of you. And you do come back sometimes on Sunday morning and you hear the Word of God and you hear truth and you remember the hope that you have and you are recharged, but it's not the recharge your battery hour. It's not the, hey, come and relax and go to sleep hour, even though some people take advantage of that. And it happens. I'm really good at putting babies to sleep. Something about my voice, I knock them out. And 70-year-old men. <laughs> what is this hour? What are we doing? Have you ever thought about this term, going to church? Now, I've always thought that's the strangest word, wording ever. I'm going to church. Hey, are you a churchgoer? What, what in the world does that mean? Uh, I'm, I'm going to a building. Or I'm going to church. Now, now, you think about that. No, you're not. You didn't come here for this building, did you? I mean, we've got a nice building. God's blessed us with facilities that are going to be used for decades for His glory. But you don't come for a building. Of course not. You don't come to be entertained. We don't live here. We don't gather together to put on a show. We don't, we don't gather together so that the world out there will come in and have their ears tickled and be entertained. And wow, wow, that's better than HBO. That's better than a football game. We don't do that. It's not about engaging people so they'll stay around. We don't go to church like we go to a football game. We don't go to church like we go to a movie. Kind of a consumer mentality. You don't go to church because we are the church. The people of God that He saved and redeemed and rescued, we're the church. If you're not in Jesus Christ, you're not the church. But if you've trusted, if you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, for salvation, 
He brings you into His church and you become the church. You're, you're that one brick that's stacked up in the spiritual house. The body of Christ, the family of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the church. So you don't go to church, you go to worship. If you can get this simple mentality in your mind, Sunday mornings will become a lot different for you. We call this a worship service because it's not about us. Sometimes uh, kids come in with their parents and sometimes I see the look on parents' face like, whoo, we got the kids here. Yeah, we're in church. Woohoo! And then, then they wrestle with their kids for the whole service. And I say, did you come to church or did you come to worship? Because there's a difference. Coming to worship, liturgy is the term that's often used to describe worship services traditionally. Liturgy in the congregational setting or a denominational setting in a religious setting means the work of the people. And so the way that we lay out a church service it's an opportunity to step into that prayer. It's an opportunity to step into that offering. It's an opportunity to step into that sermon to listen to God. It's an opportunity to, to uh, greet your neighbor in Jesus' name, show kindness and show love to smile at somebody. It's an opportunity, all these, these elements of worship, they're not meant to entertain. They're not meant to tickle the ears. They're not meant to grab and say, it's all about you. These are opportunities for us to worship the one who is worthy of attention, to give him praise, to give him honor, to dedicate our lives to him again, to sing to him, to love him, to praise him, to acknowledge him, to, to, to give him our best, to surrender our lives for worship is our response to who God is and what he's done and so Sunday by Sunday, as we gather, we don't come to church. We don't say, I wonder if the pastor's going to interest me this morning. I wonder if he's got something to say that just, I just need to hear. And, and we do, we, we come, man, maybe our marriage is struggling, and I hope the pastor says something about marriage today because I could really use a word. Or we come, maybe, maybe we come with our kids being sick or something, and man, I, I need some encouragement. Or maybe, maybe we're doubting, our faith is doubting, and maybe we need some kind of an infusion, as it were, a, a, a word of power or something. We don't call it the hour of power service, you know, kind of thing. It's a, it's a worship service. So we, so we can easily get our minds in a consumer mindset where we come here to use and we come here to grab. And man, I don't like go to church because it's not entertaining. And God's heart breaks because that's not the purpose of the gathering. It's about Him. We go to worship. Psalm 95 uh, we don't really know the origins of it as, as uh, it doesn't have headings like some of the other psalms do, but we think it's about a, a, a call to worship to a festival, whether it's Pentecost or Passover, uh, um, whether it's Tabernacles, the, the Festival of Booths, we're not sure exactly, but, but notice how the people are called together. Psalm 95, verse 1, the author says, O come. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. And just pause there for a second. Notice it's a corporate gathering. 
It's like, yeah, I can worship alone. I can listen to Spotify. I can, I can pull up Pandora anytime I want and listen to the songs I want. I can praise God through the week, and we're called to be spirit, spirit-led worship, spirit and truth worshipers during the week. Yeah, it can be this heart worship during the week, but the, there's times of gathering. The Jewish people have times of gathering, and there's this assumption, and again, it's not spelled out very clearly in the New Testament, there's this assumption that we're going to gather together corporately on, on this level Praise God with the people of God to, to acknowledge God saved her, God saved him, God saved me. Wow, we're this motley crew of misfits that God has brought together by his grace and his grace alone. We can celebrate. And so singing songs to the Lord, uh, sing a, a new song, sing these songs, hymns, uh, spiritual songs, praise songs. They're all, they're all directed towards God, celebrating what He's done, celebrating what He did, celebrating what He's going to do. It's like this rejoicing. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's make it about Him. And, and the other elements of worship that we talked about. Uh, why? Well, He's the rock of our salvation. He's the refuge. We've experienced Him in some way. We, we've, we've met Him in some way during the week. We've met Him in our lives. And so we respond to Him. He's, he's the Savior. Let's come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Um, if you know why you're here, it's because we believe that God is here. We come into the presence of the Almighty God and we are, have the privilege and the honor of giving him offerings, giving him worship, giving him praise. He's the reason we're here. It's not because there's a a pastor that, that uh, you know, makes you feel good or, or you know, uh, speaks a certain way or, or a, a, f- a fancy worship team or, or comfortable seats with cup holders. It's for him. Let's come into the Lord's presence in verse 3. Notice, notice the reason. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth. He's got the whole world in his hands, and a great king above all. He, he's, he's, the, he's got the heights of the mountains. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. And, and the refrain comes back, so let's come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The three, three words for prostrating ourselves before the Lord. Worship, kneel, and bow down. Coming closer and closer, acknowledging he's awesome. He's incredible. He's the maker. He's the creator. We gather for Him, for His glory. And so as we gather, uh, we, we gather corporately because we have a mechanism. Everybody alone, we can worship God. But now we gather publicly and we have the privilege in this country to gather publicly to glorify God, to honor Him, to sing His praises. And the whole world sees that there's a people who love their God, who glorify their God, who want to honor their God and exalt their God. We come for Him. So it says in verse 6, O come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And the Maker there, yeah, He made us, but He's made us a people. He's the Maker of the church. He's the Maker of the people of God. How privileged we are to be loved by God. How wonderful it is to be brought into God's family, to be saved. When we are His enemies, he, he, He wanted us to be His family. Let us kneel before Him, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hands. Brothers and sisters, when you come, and I urge you to keep this tradition, 
come to the presence of the Lord to give God the praise and the worship He deserves. We rejoice today. We celebrate. We exalt because of what you've done. You defeated death. You overcame the grave. There is hope for the future. There is a life to come because of you. And we have a part in the kingdom of God because of what you've accomplished, Jesus. So, Lord God, we, we respond to what you've done. Give us the grace. Give us the ability as a people of God to worship you through the week. Give us the ability as we go through our lives as living sacrifices laid upon your altar that you would be magnified, you'd be glorified, you'd be honored. As we, as we go to work this week, may we serve you there. As we go to school this week, may we serve you there. As we, as we go into our, our, our different situations of challenge and difficulty that we face, Lord, may you be exalted in those times and those places. May we worship you through our attitude and our actions, internally and externally, making much of you, glorifying you through the witness of, of evangelism, glorifying you through the comforting words of truth that we give to others, glorifying you through our very lives. For God, help us to worship this week, to magnify you in all that we do. And then as we gather next Sunday, may our time together be an overflow of praise and exaltation, of glorifying you, for you are worthy. Lord, thank you for receiving our gift of worship. Thank you for receiving the gift of offering, the offering that we give of you, of our lives. You, you've done so much. You're, you've accomplished so much in our lives. You, you, your victory after victory, every victory is yours. We worship you for who you are, our God, the great God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth. You hold everything, Lord, in your hand, and you hold us. And we worship you. We love you. Lord, send us now into the world as your ambassadors, as your servants, as your witnesses, as your exalters, as your praisers, as your glorifiers. For that's what you made us for, for your glory. Be glorified, Lord. Thank you for letting us gather. Now send us out, Lord. We trust you. We love you. Be with us till we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.